MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside, especially if you're in the south? Feels good, is good. We're going to be talking about gardening, though, for the next hour. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and you're listening to the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Got a real good interview. A guy talks fast because he's got a lot of stuff to say coming up. Uber cheesy music, of course. My theme of the week is uber cheesy. And we're going to do some emails, but also it's a call-in program, so if you want to talk gardening, this is a place to be this Friday morning, rebroadcast on Saturday. Again, horticulture's fell to rushing. We're going to talk about gardening here in the Deep South and wherever you are listening for a little while, you can be an honorary Southern gardener. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back with the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting right after this news. Alrighty, folks, welcome back. Horticulturist Felder Rushing here. We're going to be talking about gardening for the next hour or so. Got an interview with a fellow for the National Wildlife Federation coming up. For those of you who who, uh, who like to feed birds and attract butterflies and you know, have little toad houses and stuff like that, you know, that's good. But a lot of folks never really thought about it. There's an interesting program uh, where everybody can feel like that they're doing something. Well, you would be doing something, but feel like you're part of a bigger network. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes. i uh, got a, some emails to share with you. going to do some phone calls, too, so uh, if you want to give us a call, you can. I want to share a few things that are going on, but first of all, we need to start out because a lady named Emily has been hanging on before we ever got on the air from Amory. I want to see what's going on up in the uh, hill country. Hey, Emily, how are you this morning? Fine. I just have a quick question. Okay. Uh, I want you to tell me if I can and how much to uh, prune these bougainvilleas. I bought them as hanging pots, and, mm-hmm. but they they were big, and I put them in just sit around pots, and they have had um, very few leaves and very few little blooms on them. And somebody told me you could prune them, but I'm not going to prune them until you tell me how much. <laughs> Well, first of all, if you go down to the tropics, you go to San Diego or Miami or any place where, where it stays warm all the time, bougainvillea is a weed. It's worse than kudzu. It's worse than anything. It takes over. It's just a real fast-growing, thorny vine. And uh, you, can, you can cut it with a machete, and it'll put out new growth. So pruning is not going to hurt it at all. So, oh, so don't okay. worry about that. It's okay. But let me, let me mention this, Emily. They're... Um, we're getting close to winter time, and you're gonna to have to bring it in, or else it'll freeze to death outside. I have a little greenhouse. Okay, well, you can cut it back to just bare nubs, not a leaf on it, and it'll put out new growth that just thinks that it's been. It's you know, it's it's like hollering at a dog. You just you know, it doesn't bother him at all. Okay, well that's I, I'm going to give it a pretty good haircut. Well, you can, and it'll put out all new growth. So, you know, when you, now keep this in mind, Emily, just like any other plant, wherever you make your cut. The new growth comes out right below there. So if you cut it back pretty far, it'll be bushier. And then you can tip prune the new growth to make it bushy so it doesn't take over your greenhouse over the wintertime. Oh, okay then. Well, wonder why it didn't have much um, blooms on You think this 105-degree weather we had up here was... Well, it's not so much. It's not so much the temperature. Thing, you know, you might have been fertilizing a little bit too much. You might have been watering. You know, it's it's a plant that's really pretty tough. If you treat okay. it like a tough plant, it'll do like a tough plant. But if you baby it, it's just going to be all. You know, just not going to do much. Okay. Well, I thank you. I'm getting okay. ready to go get my snippers. All righty. Thanks, Emily. Appreciate your call. Let me mention this, folks. If you're thinking about bringing things in, weeping figs, bougainvillea, any kind of plant, hibiscus, the plants that have been outside all summer, uh, when you bring them in, those leaves that are on them are going to fall off. They cannot readjust. A leaf uh, gets used to the conditions it was it was formed in. And when you bring them in, a lot of these plants are going to drop every leaf on them. Hibiscus, weeping fig, bougainvillea, they're notorious about dropping all their leaves. So if you know that's going to happen, instead of waiting and having to, to rake them up every day, go in and cut the plants back now. Prune them back now, and then let them start putting out some new growth. And by that time, it'll be time to bring them in. The new growth will be used to the indoors, and they'll do fine over the winter time. So if you don't like a real mess, or if your plant's too big, go ahead and prune them, because they'd rather be pruned now and have time to put out new growth 
when you have to start bringing it in. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend. A whole lot of people. Have, there's plant sales. There's farmers markets. All sorts of things. Uh, I'm going to be down on the Gulf Coast. Whew, actually, three times in next week. That's kind of why next two weeks is kind of wild. But uh, this Saturday, uh, that's tomorrow. If you're listening on a Friday today on a Saturday, uh, I'm going to be downtown Ocean Springs, right down the Gulf Coast. Beautiful little Ocean Springs. Uh, they've got a nice little downtown area, and uh, right at the the intersection of Washington and Government Streets. I mean, that is downtown Ocean Springs. Right at that main intersection, they got a, a place called Loveless Drugs. they got a little green space right next to it. I'm going to be parking my pickup truck down there. This is being sponsored by my old friend, uh, Sam Tucker. Sam Tucker's, uh, uh, the, the, I live in the house he used to live in in Jacksonville. He's down there whooping it up on the coast. And Sam's having me come down, park my truck in the green space, and I'm going to talk about gardening, container gardening. If you want to bring weeds or wildflowers to identify, just come and sort of shoot the breeze. I'm going to be doing what Sam calls my tailgating party. I'm going to lower the truck, the tailgate. My brown dog and I are going to be there and hold forth. So a real informal, 10 o'clock to 2, downtown Ocean Springs. Uh, by the way, I'm also going to be uh, in, in over in the Mobile area Thursday, October the 20th, next Thursday. Uh, the Baldwin County Master Gardeners are having a program for the public. It's going to be at Faulkner State Community College, which is in a downtown of beautiful, beautiful Fairhope. Fairhope, Alabama is one of the, the jewels along the coast. Faulkner State uh, Community College right downtown. I'm going to be there on Tuesday the 18th. I'm going to be talking about slow gardening through all the seasons in the afternoon. So that's some things coming. Oh, one other thing before I get back to some phone calls. Uh, this coming uh, Thursday, that's next Thursday, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday on the 18th, I'm doing a program at the Memphis Botanic Garden. They try to have me there every year or two, and this is a program that's really aimed towards people who aren't necessarily joiners. There will be horticulture people and botanic gardens and garden clubbers and master gardeners, but if you're not a joiner, you know, maybe you just don't like other people, but if you just like to, to whoop it up about gardening, 6.30 Tuesday evening, on the 18th of the Memphis Botanic Garden. Uh, cost 10 bucks to get in, but bring a friend. We will whoop it up. Again, this is Horticulturist Fellow Rushing, yakking about gardening. And uh, let's slide over to Starkville and see what's going on. Good morning. Hello. No. Hey, good. who is this? Hey. Hello. Yes, hello. Hi. Hi. Who is this I'm talking to? This is Taylor Dearman. Okay. Okay, what's going on, man? You're on the air. Great. Thanks for taking my call. I grow an heirloom cayenne pepper, and I got a ton of it, and I've been dehydrating it uh -huh. and uh, using it that way. And I want to know if dehydrating it, if it harms the seed at all, if that makes it ready to plant for the next year if I store it in the freezer. Yeah, you don't need to store those uh, those pepper seeds in the freezer. You can keep them in the refrigerator and keep them in an envelope on the, you know, as long as they're cool and dry. You don't have to put them in the freezer or in the refrigerator. But what I would do is I would, uh, you know... I, I, w I would save some seeds from some uh, that have just been dried, just air dried. You know, let them mature okay. on the plant, you know, and take two or three, four pods. That should be plenty, five or six pods if you want to, and just let them dry naturally uh, rather than, than, than putting them through that intense dehydration. And okay. then uh, shuck those seeds out and uh, save them. You know, I, I keep all my, and I grow a lot of different kind of peppers. I keep them in, in envelopes labeled what they are, just laying out where I can see them and won't forget them the next spring. Okay, that sounds uh, like a plan. All right. Hey, let me ask you this. What do you do with those peppers? Uh, mainly eat them. Um, I, I can them in jars, make uh, pepper sauce, and uh, they really... I grind up most of it just to have red pepper flakes. Yeah, are they really, really hot, What, what you know, or, or are they just okay? No, they're really, really hot, but after two or three years of eating them, uh, <laughs> yeah. I've grown accustomed to them and really love them. Well, I, you know, I like hot peppers. I can even eat a habanero, a whole habanero, chew it up, wallow it in my mouth, and swallow it. But it makes me feel terrible. It makes me terrible to be around for about ten minutes. But, I can uh, imagine. But uh, it's, it's good. good that you're saving your seeds. Well, good. I appreciate it. Thank you for your uh, help. Hey, hey, let me throw this out before you go. I'm going to be okay. doing a program. Uh, uh, Starville has this this uh, sort of a home and garden thing every spring. I'm going to be there this next spring. I've got okay. some seeds of a little thing called a bird's eye pepper. They're 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 smaller than an English pea. They're about the size of an English pea, a little bit smaller, and they're called poppers. You pop one in your mouth, chew it up, and it gets your juices going really, gets your digestive system going good. 
pretty little Great. plant too. I'll bring some seeds for you. Okay, I'll, I'll share your with uh, share your mind too. Supposedly right. it's a Thomas Jefferson uh, cayenne. All righty. Well, we'll swap because these things came from from out in Texas. They've been there for a long time. I'll swap you some some Texas bird's eye popper peppers for some of your Thomas Jefferson uh, hot peppers. Well, great. I'll look for you in the spring. I'll right. send you mail. Okay. Well, thank you, man. All right. That's why you do stuff, folks. Folks, you find somebody's got something you want, you barter for it. Just jump in on it. Uh, a lot of things going on. And by the way, I was talking about events coming up, and I'll talk about this next week. But in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go down and blow some glass. They've got a uh, a glass program, a ceramics program. They got a the arts program uh, down in Mobile uh, at the University of of, uh, of South Alabama has got a terrific program down there. And I'm doing a program. Uh, it's not till the 25th, October the 25th. I'm doing a program on garden art and ornaments uh, with an emphasis on really cool things I've seen made out of glass all over Europe and all the United States, how to have fun on Beyond Bottle Trees. But they're going to have me blowing glass from my own garden. Maybe you can join in on that too. Details about that later. If you want to give us a call this morning, it's real easy. It's one 672 7464 mpb ring but we've got a uh, interview coming up, so cool your jets a little bit. This is a fellas coming up talking about how you can get away with having wild stuff in your yard. And then when we come back from that, we got some music that I think is uh, pretty appropriate to this guest. Uh, stick with us, folks. So we're going to be talking for the next few minutes uh, with a fellow named David Mizajewski. He's from the National Wildlife Federation. And if you want more information about that, we'll give it at the end of his interview. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to Mississippi Public Broadcasting, um, and we're going to be talking about gardening to the end of the hour. We'll be right back after this interview. MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. All righty, folks, welcome back again. Horticulture's fell to rushing, and we're going to be talking about how not gardening for a little while, sort of gardening. I've got on the line David Mizajewski from the National Wildlife Federation. You there with us, David? I'm here. All righty. Thank you so much, man. You're a naturalist with one of my favorite groups, the National Wildlife Federation. You have helped bail me out, whether you knew it or not, by my, my putting one of your official little signs in my yard saying, I'm okay. Well, there you go. We can talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're with the uh, the National Wildlife Federation, but you work with the part of the National Wildlife Federation that used to be called the Backyard Wildlife. Now we're just calling it Yard Wildlife. What are we calling it now? Well, yeah, we, we, we had a program that we called Backyard Wildlife Habitat, and it goes back all the way back to 1973. It's actually older than me. And what it was all about was helping people to help wildlife literally right outside their door. Um, so it's all about restoring wildlife habitat um, in our neighborhoods and our towns, and that's why it's a gardening program because the best way to do that, to restore that habitat and help the wildlife, is to replant the native vegetation that the wildlife needs and not um, so, and not, not just native stuff either but just all the things we can touch on that but my sign that i've got in my yard says backyard wildlife habitat but i just uh, help a friend get signed up just says uh wildlife habitat it's yeah, not well, not, we, not just for backyard anymore that's right yeah well what we found was over the years that we we kept getting requests from people who didn't have traditional backyards that wanted to participate. And, you know, the, the, the term backyard was always meant a little bit figurative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would get phone calls from people saying, you know, I, I, I've got this great, you know, butterfly garden, and I love to have it certified by the National Wildlife Federation, but it's in my front yard. Well, and it's a psychological... <laughs> okay, you're taking things a little bit too literally. But, you know, there were those instances, and then we also have a lot of interest from schools 
and a lot of interest from workplaces. And what, what it boils down to is that the same things that you need to do in your own yard are the same things that you would do anywhere that you can garden in order to make it good for wildlife. So what we decided to do is just call the program the Certified Wildlife Habitat Program. Yeah. And that way, folks, anywhere, wherever you can garden, you can do something good for wildlife and participate. And it's not hard to do. As a matter of fact, to be honest, almost any person with a decent garden meets all the requirements. Absolutely. That's that's one of the biggest sort of misperceptions is that, you know, oh, I want to do something good for wildlife, and that means I have to rip out everything in my yard. I've got to spend a lot of money. I've got to you know, hire a professional. I've got to put in a big, expensive water feature. And none of that is necessarily true. Certainly, you could do all of those things. You know, you could really go, you know, whole hog and spend a lot of money and, and create something really amazing, but you don't have to. And the, and the reality is, just like you said, most people – already have some things that are going to meet our requirements to have your yard certified, and they already have some things that are already helping wildlife. And you know what? That's by design. You know, the, the, the part of the process of getting your yard certified is discovering what's going on in your garden. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of people are kind of oblivious about what's going on outside their, their door, gardeners less so than I think the average person. But even gardeners might not have thought about the fact that, you know, these beautiful flowers that I have, are actually providing food in the form of nectar and pollen for pollinators. Um, you know, they might not have thought of, you know, just sort of the trees that are at the back of their property as being important places to raise young for birds and other wildlife. And so our program is, is designed to help people discover that and, and really to realize that, you know, most of us do have something good already happening in our yards for wildlife, and it's just about connecting the dots, filling in the blanks, and then then you can achieve certification with National Wildlife Federation. It's sort of enabling people to to focus. So we had this thing, uh, one of the books that I have called Slow Gardening, uh, talks about plant blindness, where you literally can't see the forest for the trees or the trees yep. for the forest because we don't focus. And what this program does, it helps people slow down and focus on things that are already there to appreciate them better and to, to maybe, maybe um, you know, expand them a little bit. I know in my little garden, which has got trees and shrubs. Some have berries, some have flowers. I've got, I put a bird feeder out there, but I don't have to because I got birds anyway. They got plenty of places to nest. They've got places where they're going to raise their young. Uh, but it's not just about birds. Songbirds are a real big thing. Matter of fact, y'all have a real interesting program that's going to come up in 2012 called Save the Songbirds. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that takes off. But as far as yeah. just all this stuff, you know, water, you know, is not the, a bird bath. A bird bath is all it takes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the other thing. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times the thing that people are, are missing is the water feature. And so I think it's a good time to, to, to talk about the, the four things that we look for in a garden to make it wildlife friendly. And these are the four things that you need to do if you want to achieve certification with the National Wildlife Federation. And I, and I, think, said, I, think, I think one of them is redundant, but go ahead and click off the four. Okay. So um, there, the first one is food. Yeah. The second one's water. Yeah. The third one is cover or shelter. Yeah. And the fourth one is places to raise young. And I'm betting that you think the last two are the redundant ones. Yeah, they are because they got shelter. They're going to they're gonna whoop it up in the bushes and make nests and stuff. Well, but here's why we, why we specify that because you're right. A lot of times, you know, you'll read in, in various, you know, books and magazines and some other programs that are similar to ours, you know, that there's three, three components of habitat. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, uh, certainly wildlife are going to use the same areas that they're going to get shelter from predators and shelter from the, the elements as places where they can raise their young, you know, a hollow tree, for example, um, things like that. But the reality is that a lot of wildlife have different needs in different yeah. phases of their life cycles. And what we want to do is call attention to that. And we want, get, we want people to be thinking about not just butterflies, but their caterpillars, which have completely different needs in terms of habitat than the adults do. Um, same thing with amphibians. Um, you know, an amphibian is typically going to start out life as an aquatic larva, a tadpole in the case of uh, frogs and toads, and has a completely different um, you know, food need and habitat need and, and pretty much every need than it does when it's an adult. So we want to just call attention to that, and that's why we have that as a fourth component. So really just expanding the pie to be more inclusive. Exactly, yeah. And, and, so, and by yeah. the way, anybody who's got a water garden in their yard knows about frogs and toads and whooping it up. Those babies, they sing all night long. It's party time if you've got a water pond. One woman out in California created a great backyard water feature and um, promptly had it filled with Pacific tree frogs. And so many <laughs> so that her neighbors started complaining 
because they said it was too much noise, which is kind of sad when you think about it, because they probably wouldn't have complained if it was traffic noises or loud music or something <laughs> like that. But, uh, you know. Well, this is, this is so easy. Uh, we had a, a fellow recently in, in Memphis whose garden was, his landscape was sighted by the city because the neighbor complained it could look kind of overgrown and weedy. And I went up there. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been working this for a long time, David. And by the way, folks, uh, I'm talking with David Mizajewski. He's the naturalist with the Natural Wildlife Federation. And if you want more information about this program, you can go to nwf.org, and I'll get that information later. But anyway, David, this guy, he, he had a nice yard. It was He had vegetables in his front yard instead of lawn, and he had uh, beehives, and he had worm boxes, and he had a brush pile, all the things you're supposed to have, a little water feature but it was looking a little bit ragged what i did was uh, i went onto your website the nwf.org and clicked on the the wildlife habitat program i signed him up myself because you can do all this online he had all the things you know he had food he had shelter he had places to raise young he had water so i signed him up and got the the, the sign that y'all sent put it in his yard and that helped him win his case with the judge because it was sort of like he was well certified which he was yeah, and you know that's that's part of why we we offer folks the option of getting our yard sign because mostly people get it because they're proud of achieving something good for wildlife and being recognized for it by National Wildlife Federation. But it really does go a long way in help communicating to your neighbors that you know maybe your yard doesn't look exactly like theirs. Maybe it's not sort of the conventional suburban landscape of a lawn and a few you know exotic ornamental plants that really, quite frankly, are not doing much for wildlife. Maybe it looks a little bit different, and that freaks people out sometimes. Um, but by, by putting out a yard sign and designating it for all to see that, you know, I've done this on purpose. You know, I'm not just yeah. lazy. Um, yeah. But I will say this. You know, we, we, we hear from time to time about folks that are having trouble with their, uh, their homeowners association or the municipality when it comes to the look and feel of their habitat. And, and so what I always encourage folks to think about is the fact that, number one, your yard doesn't have to be completely wild-looking to be good for wildlife. Thank you. Picking the right kinds of plants, um, you know, and designing it in a way that maybe fits in with the look and feel of your neighborhood, but still has the appropriate, you know, habitat features and the right kind of plants. It can look just as gorgeous as anything, you know, in a, in a beautiful ornamental gardening magazine and still be good for wildlife. Now, that's not to say that a very wild-looking landscape won't be loved by wildlife, but think about where you are because at the end of the day, we ask folks to really be ambassadors for the idea of of natural gardening and wildlife friendly gardening and sometimes you know you can uh, you know cut your nose off to spite your face if you if you know what i mean if oh, you yeah. want to go with a really wild look just to prove a point you might end up alienating your community and making them think that wildlife gardening is a bad thing yeah so, so you don't you don't that. you don't have to use this sign to beat people over the head with it Exactly, yeah. And, you know, if you want to have a really wild look, what I usually tell folks is maybe that's what you want to do in your backyard um, and maybe have your front yard be a little bit more ornamental. So, for example, um, you know, I, I had a house at one point where the backyard was pretty wild. Um, but at, in the front, I did have just a little tiny patch of lawn, and then the rest of it were beds that I, I um, planted as pollinator gardens. And, of course, you know, pollinator gardens tend to be filled with bright-blooming, you know, wildflowers and things like that. And so it looked beautiful. Um, it was very ornamental, very appropriate for being right on the, you know, on the curbside where people were walking by and driving by. It wasn't dragging down property values or anything like that. Yeah. It was all you know, native plants that were growing in the region that the, the bees and the butterflies and other pollinators depended on, hummingbirds too. So you can, you can have your cake and eat it too if, if, you, if you plan, you know, if you do put a little bit of thought into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've been saying this, just like I say that vegetables and herbs can be used as flowers, too. That you, that, yeah. that and a lot of plants have dual purpose. You could pull it, you know, I, I like azaleas, but they they do nothing. Unless you're an aphid or a spider mite, they do nothing for wildlife. But you can replace them with blueberries and other things that are equally, pr- almost as pretty, mm-hmm. productive, have good flowers, have good berries, good fall color, and just use them as regular landscape plants. Well, this thing about water, David, um, we get a lot of questions from people, uh, erroneous, you and I know, that, that putting a water garden out there is going to invite mosquitoes. But I'm thinking, no, it attracts dragonflies, which eat mosquitoes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, here's the thing is that any, any standing body of water, is, is, it's possible that mosquitoes are going to breed there. But the reality of that is that most mosquitoes in a suburban landscape are either coming from, you know, the natural areas adjacent to where you're living. You got them anyway. More, more likely, they're coming from 
standing water in clogged gutters. They're coming from standing water that is collecting in children's play equipment. Um, they're coming from, the, again, the standing bodies of water uh, in, in other parts of the landscape, hollow tree cavities that you know, might collect it and things like that. And, yeah. and a minimal amount are coming from a well-maintained bird bath or water garden. As far as bird baths go, here's the thing, is that mosquitoes take usually five to seven days to complete their metamorphosis from aquatic larva to winged adult. All you need to do to make sure that not a single uh, a mosquito comes out of your bird bath is dump it, clean it, and refill it with fresh water every three to four days. And you, even if there are mosquito larvae in it, you'll get rid of it. With a water garden, have, if you have some kind of motion in the water, and typically a good water garden will, it'll have a pump or a waterfall or something like that. That'll help deter mosquitoes because they don't like moving water. Yeah, or, ju- or just put some cheap... Put some cheap goldfish or minnows in there. Let them eat the mosquito larvae. Absolutely, yeah. And, and like you said, dragonflies will be attracted. Um, if you have a, a big enough pond and you're lucky enough to have populations of salamanders around, salamanders might even breed in your pond. And let me tell you, salamander larvae are just as voracious in terms of being <laughs> predatory on mosquito larvae as, as dragonfly larvae are. I mean, these little guys are carnivorous you know, mosquito larvae eating machines. So plant, you know, plant. it's all about creating that balance. Get so, predators in there. You're never going to have a problem with the pests. So if you plant stuff and you have water, in other words, plant it and they will come. Really, that's true. I mean, we always joke and we, you know, we steal that line from, from the movie, um, build it and they will come. But it's true. If you, if you plant it, the animals will come because they're looking for habitat. And let's face it, a lot of uh, a lot of our urban and suburban areas don't have a lot of wildlife habitat left. So, you know, even if you create one little patch of of green, um, the wildlife will find it and they will come and they will show up. I mean, I've been places where you think, oh, this is crazy that wildlife would be here. You know, 13 stories up on the top of the Chicago City Hall, they have a fabulous green roof, and it's literally teeming with wildlife. Now, it's yeah. all wildlife that can fly. But it's, you know, a few, that counts. Yeah, a dozen species of birds, um, including raptors. Um, I saw all sorts of different beetles, butterflies, dragonflies up there. So, you know, don't be discouraged if you don't have a big piece of land or you feel like you live in a, you know, a two of an urbanized environment that the wildlife won't find it. Sometimes it's, it's actually even more beneficial in those areas because there's such a lack of habitat elsewhere. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that, you know, if you and your neighbors and your whole street get involved and your community get involved, that it's not going to maximize the potential for good in terms of wildlife. But, uh, but you know, it, you, if you're just doing it alone, it'll make a difference, too. And you'll see it. You'll see the, the wildlife show up. Well, we're, we're kind of, we've got to come up on a break, David. I know that you've been real busy because, I mean, you're the naturalist with the Wildlife Feder- National Wildlife Federation. You've got a whole lot of stuff, you know, Martha and all these programs all over the country. And I appreciate your time. But, again, if people want more information about this, they go to your website. You, they don't have to have somebody come out and inspect. They can just go to National Wildlife Federation, NWF.org, and it's got the whole thing. You can do it online. It's easy as it can be. Absolutely, yeah, and I encourage folks to do that, especially if you're feeling intimidated, because we have web articles up, we have how-to videos up. Um, I've written a book on the subject called Attracting Birds, Butterflies, and Backyard Wildlife that you can order directly through NWF. So check it out, learn a little bit, and, and, and I guarantee that once you start doing it, once you take a fir- those first few steps, you're going to get really excited about it because you're going to see the birds, the butterflies, the other critters show up. And then, you know, and then you're going to be a lifelong devotee to this whole concept of, of backyard habitats and wildlife gardening. And collectively, it does make a difference. And that's what National Absolutely. Wildlife Federation is doing. It's talking about collective stuff. And again, David, I, I really look forward to talking to you uh, next spring about the Save the Songbirds or program that you're doing. But we got to scoot. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm going to give more information about how to get in touch with National Wildlife Federation when we come back from a break. Folks, you've been listening to uh, David Mizajewski from the nationalwildlifefederation.org and we're going to be talking about more of this when we come back. Thanks so much David. Thank you.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. All righty, welcome back. Folks, hope you enjoyed that talk with David. If you want more information about the National Wildlife Federation Wildlife Habitat Program, it's really, really easy. If you go to NWF, which is for National Wildlife Federation, nwf.org, you can find out how to do it. You can, you can register your yard or your schoolyard or whatever online. And uh, it's just it's just easy to do. And it makes me feel good having that sign out in my yard because it makes me feel like that I'm telling people that I'm trying. And uh, I know some of you are, too. Uh, we're going to take uh, some, some uh, phone calls in a second. But first of all, we had a, a, a lady named Kathy who was uh, on a cell phone. She couldn't talk long. She wanted to know about pruning back her bird of paradise so she could bring it inside. And unfortunately, the bird of paradise doesn't really have a trunk. It's not something you can prune. It does, but it's such a short thing. Bird of paradise is, is a, a clump of long leaves with long, long stems. And if you cut those, well, you got to... Uh, a clipped bird of paradise. <laughs> so uh, anyway, if you got to bring it in, you got to bring it in. Cut off what doesn't work, but there's no way to keep it small. Like an email I got earlier this week, I forgot who sent it, who wanted to know how she could prune her pampas grass and keep it small. Well, you can't. It's a monster. <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. And we've got a call here that I think might uh, tie into all of that. Lee is calling from Oxford. Hi, Lee. What's going on, man? Well, I've uh, got a... Uh giant Eliagnes problem. Oh, yeah, they're big. You know, you can hide a school bus behind three of them. I know. That's my problem. I had never had experience with them before, and I put a couple of them out as a border hedge between my neighbors, and they kept growing and growing and growing, and they're completely out of control. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's encroaching so much, I'm going to have to remove them. My question is, uh, should I try to kill it before I cut it down or cut it down at the ground and then is it that would be easy back up just oh no no, it, it, no, no. this 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 elag is, it doesn't send out suckers like that uh usually it doesn't 
So what I'll do is I'll just cut it back and then, you know, tie a, tie a, a, a chain around the trunks and yank it out with your pickup truck, mm-hmm. and, which I've done before. But, uh, they, you know, the, the regular Ely Agnes doesn't have suckers. It's just a regular shrub, multiple-stemmed shrub. Yeah. So I would just cut it cut it back and, and yank it out. And sorry about that because it's such a great plant, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's like having a whale in a bathtub. I know it. And, uh, it's the, the trunk. I've tunneled into the trunk, and the thing is over a foot in diameter. Oh, I, I, like I say, and I tell people all the time, you can hide a school bus behind three Ely Agnes easily. It, is there any chemical that I could uh, pour on the the uh, stump that would kill the root system? Oh, uh, oh, you 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 just want to cut it back and not pull the stump out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, what I would do, I'd just cut it down close to the ground, and then next spring when the new growth comes up, spray that with Roundup. I, I get it. I thought you were going to pull it up trunk and all. No, just cut it down close to the ground as you can, and next spring when the new growth comes out. Uh, you know, it gets uh, two or three feet long, then spray that with Roundup. That'll that'll kill it without hurting the soil or anything like okay, that. Okay, good. I was hoping that's what yeah. the answer was yeah. going to be because you're I sure wasn't looking forward to trying to spray that whole thing with no Roundup. Problem. No problem at all. Okay, well, I'll just do what you said then. All right, Lee. Appreciate it. Thanks for okay, the call. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, we got some other phone calls. I want to take those. But first of all, uh, here's an email that I got uh, from uh, – before I do that, let me give a shout-out to an old friend of mine from up in the Delta. This guy is the real deal, hardcore Delta boy. Uh, his name is Jerry Lee, but he goes by the name of Duff, Duff Dura. Uh, he's had a little bit of a tough time lately, but what a fine guitarist and painter. Hope you get back to playing your guitar and painting the Delta landscapes real soon. Uh, Jerry Lee Duff Dura, he's a longtime listener of the program. He likes to ride around the Delta countryside looking at plants and, and stuff like that. So anyway, hope you're doing better, my friend. Let's go to uh, Tupelo. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. What's up? Oh, I, I'm glad I didn't. I wasn't sure I was through. Uh, I have a rhododendron that I planted on the north end of my deck. Uh-huh. Deck's reached about four feet. About uh, eighteen twenty years ago, yeah. And on the on the outside of it, uh, it's just beautiful. It's got a full of blossoms every year, and so on. But from the side you see from the deck, it's really leggy and yeah, and, not getting enough uh, light. Not very pretty. Yeah, I'm I'm reluctant to cut it back to make it. Well, what should I do, and what should I do? It? Well, it, it, this is a real good dilemma. I mean, it it'd be a dilemma for me because the side that's not getting enough light is it just it's it's just going to get you know more and more. I'm not going to say worse and worse. I'm going to say it's going to get more and more like that. Uh, what uh-huh. what I would do because they're they're hard to prune these things, and if you've got a rhododendron that's growing in in your kind of soil in Tupelo, which really surprised me, I wouldn't mess with it at all. What I would do really? is I would put something on the bare side, like a pot with something else growing in it, just to sort of fill uh-huh. that hole. That's a good idea. You know, uh, and it could be something really tough. You know what Nandina is? Yes. Nandina is an old-fashioned plant. It'll grow in a big pot and you know, be evergreen. If you put, uh-huh. you know, a pretty good size, if you got room on your deck to put a pot with something like a Nandina in there, that'll sort of visually fill that hole. I got you. I got you. Because uh, you know, I- as far as far as pruning, it's hard to prune a rhododendron. Because yeah. you know, there's just it's just hard to do it. Well, I'm reluctant to do very much of it because it really has been a very beautiful plant, and yeah. and I know it's kind of unusual to get them like that. It's it a, is. It's it a is. pine yard, uh, pretty thick, and and apparently we get enough acid to make it happy. Yeah. But, well, uh, if, if you don't have room to put, you know, a, a, you know, something else in there to sort of visually fill that hole, you know, think about uh, uh, putting up a, a a couple of little small posts and putting a piece of lattice or something on that end of it. Something, you know, just to to tone it down. Well, there's some room between the end of the deck and there, like two or three feet, because it moves away from the deck yeah. to grow. Uh, well, if you don't, it drops it, down about three feet there. Yeah, if it's you don't, possible to plant something there along yeah. with it that would grow up between them. It's, it's possible. We have to have something that's this narrow, and uh, you know, Nandina would do well. You can put that in a pot, and Nandina will stay in that pot uh, up to you know all the time, and no care, no water, right. no nothing. But again, also yeah. think about putting up a couple of small posts and stretching something in between. Have a piece of artwork or something like that hanging over. There's something visual on that end of the deck. You know, that's always a good idea, just like you hang stuff on the walls in the house. Yeah, right, right. So think about that. Right, I, I, w- I wouldn't recommend pruning the record. If it's doing fine, I wouldn't mess with it. I got you. I won't touch it. Okay. Good luck on it. Uh, by the way, uh, I was at the state fair this past week, went out with a bunch of friends and all, and 
Uh, we ate some terrible stuff. It was wonderful. It was wonderfully terrible. The red velvet cake. Um, can't remember the stuff. Not elephant ears. Whatever the stuff is. I, okay. Anyway, as I can't remember the 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 fried stuff. It's it's like funnel cake. <laughs> Red velvet cake funnel cake. Wow. This is a brand new thing. Never been seen at any state fairs before. It's brand new all over the country. It's awesome. Uh, but also I found out the difference between corn dogs and pronto pups. And not many, many people care about this, but not many people think about it. But a corn dog is made with corn meal, like hush puppy batter. It's a wiener dipped in that stuff and then fried, and it sort of pulls away from the from the hot dog. But it's corn meal. That's what a, a a corn dog is. A pronto pup is a wheat batter. It's pancake batter. The reason it's sweeter and it sticks to the to the wiener a little bit better. So, if you never wonder about the difference between a pronto pup and a corn dog, there it is: pancake versus hush puppy. <laughs> I also rescued a, uh, a goldfish. Somebody won a goldfish and they're carrying out a little plastic bag and they dropped it on the street and it was flopping around. And some friends, and I, my friend Catherine and I picked it up and we took it uh, back, put it in a bag. I put it in my water garden. It's alive. I'm calling him Little Lucky. Little Lucky the goldfish. Wrote about him in the Clarion Ledger today. Got a picture of him on my website. Go to fellerushing.net and see a picture of Little Lucky the goldfish. We'll be back with more of the Gestalt Gardener right after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Welcome back, folks. I got an email from Mark LaFrancis in Natchez. He said, I have a compost pile that I've tended nicely for a year, but recently haven't done anything with it except toss stuff in it, vegetables, fruit, etc., and coffee grounds. Mark says it's a bit overgrown, has loads of ants. I'd like to return it to its nice compost pile state again. And uh, I'm afraid this <laughs> it's a simple solution, but it's not easy. You just dig out all the stuff that's there or maybe pay somebody to do it for you and get out all the tree roots. Throw a piece of plastic on the ground like an old shower curtain to keep tree roots from coming back in it, tree and shrub roots, and then just pile it back up. Pull it all out, pile it back up. And that pretty well does a good job. And that'll chase a lot of the ants off too by the way ants don't really bother me in the compost i just work real quick let's go up to iuka to the icebox part of the state and talk with sandra hey lady how are you this morning well i'm great how are you so far so good have you gotten gotten some chilly nights yet yes but uh next week it's gonna be really chilly oh yeah <laughs> so i've got to get stuff in the greenhouse this rest of the few days what's you up to uh, i have uh caladiums in pots Mm-hmm. And some of them are going to just fall over. The leaves haven't quite died. Should I go ahead and take them up now, or do they, do we wait till the frost hits them? Tell me what I need to do to save well, them. Well, you know, looking at it from the Caladian's point of view, they're tropical plants, strictly right. tropical, and they grow year-round nonstop. So they don't right. really go dormant. You know, they're just petering out. So anytime you do it, doesn't matter the Caladium. So what I would do is I would just stop watering them. And let okay. them dry completely out, and when the leaves, uh, you know, without, you know, cut, you know, try not to tug them because if you make little tears on that little corm or tuber or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it can cause rot. So I would just let them completely dry out till the leaves shuck off by themselves. Okay. Well, we had a little rain the other night, so see. That'll that perk them back them up. <laughs> well, you know, well, I'm I got, glad for the rain. Yeah, if you'll just go ahead and pull them up under the garage or something like that, let them just completely dry out, then that, that, that's okay, what I would do. Okay, and then take them out of that and put them in my peat moss. Yeah, because you want to okay. keep them dry. And, and, again, you want to be real careful to not, you know, tear any of the leaves off because that can cause, you know, they're real easy to rot. Just wait till the leaves begin to just fall off. Yeah, and they'll just shuck okay. off. They'll just shuck off, Sandra. Oh, okay. All right, Thank good, you so much. Good to hear from you. You too. All right. 
By the way, I'm but those of you up in North Mississippi, I'm gonna be in Memphis at the Botanical Garden this coming Tuesday night. I think this is gonna I'm gonna try to have a little fun. Tuesday the eighteenth, six thirty at the Memphis Botanical Garden. We're gonna be talking about slow gardening and uh, whooping it up. And this is especially for folks who are not master gardeners or garden club members or horticulture people. For just what I call garden variety gardeners who like to have fun without all the stuff. That's what we're gonna be talking about. Memphis Botanical Garden, Tuesday the 18th, 6.30 in the evening. Let's go to Kemper County and see what's up. Hey, Joe, good morning. Hello. Hello. Hey, Joe, what's up, man? You're on the air. Um, I just set out some strawberries a couple of weeks ago, and they look like they're doing real well. And I yeah. want to know about putting straw around them or something. Do, and do I do that now? Yeah. Because I want my strawberries to lay on straw rather than dirt in the spring. Yeah, yeah and that's that's a good idea. Of, and, and not only that, but it'll help keep a lot of the weeds down, too. I, I, you know, so, so you I, completely cover them, or do you have no. to leave a little gap for the? Well, you know, the strawberry, the strawberries that take twenty below zero. So, but matter of fact, they'll look like they're freezing to death, and then they'll perk back up. But no, I would just tuck it up under them. You know, it's if you got a lot okay. of you got a lot of plants. I just uh, well, I got a row about. Uh, Thirty foot long. Okay. What I would do is I would uh, is I would just uh, you know gr- around the plant I would just pull them you know just sort of gather the leaves up in uh-huh. one hand and sprinkle the stuff up on them really really thick around the okay. base of it and I let the leaves flop back over. Do that or cover them? I didn't know why. No. Okay. Ain't no th- thank you very oh, much. Oh, and by the way, next year when they start sending runners out. You need to make uh-huh. sure those runners are able to touch dirt so that they root because the strawberry plants you're sitting out now will have strawberries next spring, but their runners well, will have... I these out in the springtime. They had all kind of runners. That's where I got... I just yeah. had a few plants, but I had got enough runners. So I yeah. got a whole row of them now. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. All right, Joe. Thank you very much. You bet. Uh, I've got time for another call or two if somebody's uh, hanging around near a phone. One eight seven seven MPB ring. One eight seven seven MPB ring. We're going to be talking about gardening every Friday and and, and rebroadcast on Saturday. But uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting has some locally produced programs throughout the week on a wide variety of topics: health, pets, wild animals, finance, all that kind of stuff. And so, if you'll tune in nine o'clock. Every weekday morning, you'll be able to hear locally produced program. Uh, I'm going to be at the University of South Alabama on Tuesday, October the 25th. We're going to be blowing glass, starting about noon, blowing glass in their in their their studio, and then I'm going to give a talk middle of the afternoon on garden art and ornaments. Uh, but I'm going to be in downtown Crystal, uh, not Crystal Springs. What am I talking about? Downtown Ocean Springs this weekend. Uh, if you listen to the rebroadcast, I'm going to be there till. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So from 10 o'clock to 2, I'm going to have my pickup truck and my brown dog and all the plants and stuff growing in the back of it. We're going to be talking about whatever you want to talk about or else whatever would be my my choice. But it's going to be real informal. Uh, my friend Sam Tucker is having me come down there. I live in Sam's old house in Jackson. And uh, Anyway, it's going to be talking about gardening, answering your most burning gardening questions from 10 till 2. And the green space next to Loveless Drug, that's uh intersection of Washington Government Street. Well, downtown Ocean Springs. Can't miss it. All righty, let's see what's going on with um, Jerry. And where are you from, Jerry? I'm from, uh, I'm in Lewin, Mississippi. Lewin, okay. Under, okay, L-O-U-I-N. That's right. Gotcha. What's going on? Well, uh, we kind of got hit by a little tornado back in April. Mm-hmm. And where I used to live in a forest, uh, I'm now kind of like in a cutover. Yeah, sorry. And uh, it used to be pretty wet in my yard. And I'm just wondering uh, if you know, it might be out of your league. It might be more for a hydrologist. But uh, what do you think will happen with the ground? Will it get drier or get wetter? Because now it's covered with shrubs instead of pine trees. Well, it's it's a good question. The trees were taking a lot of moisture out of there, but you know during the wet spells, it's going to stay wet no matter you know what what you've got out there. Uh, that's a good question. It it, it really de- depends on what kind of plants, how big they are, what kind of leaves they are, and how much they suck stuff out of the out of the dirt. By the way, there are some plants that like those kind of conditions. You could put out there. That like to stay yeah. wet part of the year, and I, you know, I could rattle a few off and send you an email about it. But uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know, you know, the overall effect was what it's going to be. I don't. That's a good question. Okay. 
Well, I appreciate you coming, man. Enjoy yeah. the show. Every Thank week. you. Hey, if you shoot me an email, let's let's you know let's it's a chance for us both to learn some stuff. Shoot me an email and and uh, let's see what we can come up with. That's garden at mpbonline dot org. All right, I'll do it. Okie dokie, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I'm also going to be um, not only Ocean Springs this Saturday from ten to two. Uh, Memphis Botanic Garden, Tuesday at 6.30, Tuesday the 18th. But on Thursday, October the 20th, Baldwin County Master Gardens, I'm going to be downtown Fairhope at the at the uh, Faulkner State Community College. My old college roommate, Kent Schwartz, is a horticulturist there. But that's two, thir- Thursday, October the 20th, downtown Fairhope, Alabama. Folks, I'm going to be talking about gardening through the seasons. Come over and let's whoop it up. Now, I've got this. I'm not sure which one of these buttons to put. I'm going to push that one to see what happens. Is this Ansley? Yes, it is. Yay, I pushed the right button. What's going on over in Bush, Louisiana? Well, uh, I'm trying to uh, have in my grow in my backyard a wildflower meadow. Uh-huh. And um, I have a, a vine that's that just covers it in a great mass of vines. It has a pretty little blue flower, but it's not attractive when it covers up the wildflowers and everything Are the else. The heart-shaped leaves? Uh, it's kind of heart shaped. Yeah, yeah, that's about two that's inches ca- long. I would yep. say at the most. Oh, I got it, pig. That's called tie vine. It's, it's called what? Tie vine. T i e vine. You know how it ties everything up? Tie. T i e. T i e vine. It's a type of morning glory with little blue flowers, and it will wrap everything up out there. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to deal with it. To- well, unfortunately, there's nothing that'll kill it that won't kill your wildflowers. The only thing I could recommend is go out there and pull up as much as you can and hope the wildflowers are tall enough to outgrow it. There's nothing that'll kill it that won't kill the wildflowers. Well, no matter how tall they are, it'll grow up. I, 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 I understand completely. Can you, can you, okay. um, I tell you, like with a hole or a no, shovel, yeah, cut it off? That, that's that's going to be your best bet. Uh, we're, we're out of time, but if you have some questions about that, shoot us an email, garland at mpbonline.org. Hope to see some of y'all in downtown Crystal Springs. <laughs> downtown ocean springs saturday from 10 to whatever shoot me an email folks garnet at mpbonline.org i'm horticulturist fellow russian you've been listening to the gestalt gardener here on mississippi public broadcasting it's a beautiful weekend if you're not going to the state fair take a kid outside and show them how to get dirty This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio.